0: Every week, we will share principles from the Word of God, interviews, and encouragement in order to strengthen your voice. Thank you for joining me today, and now here is today's podcast. The topic that I was given and asked to teach on was, what is sin, repentance, and restitution, restoration, you know, kind of the same thing in some ways. But yesterday I talked about holiness because on purpose, I want you to understand that we can't properly talk about any of those things without understanding holiness, right? And so without getting back into that, we are stepping into define what is sin, okay? What is sin? And I hope to give a good description for you today that will be helpful for you. Because if we don't know what sin is, how do we know if we're committing it? Now, there's different scriptures that talk about God has given everybody a conscience, right? A conscience, the word conscience, science, means with knowledge. So nobody sins accidentally, okay? But we're going to explain like what are sins of omission and sins of commission and things like that. But whenever somebody sins, they sin willfully, right? If, If somebody says something to you don't like and you curse them, even though what they said to you was wrong, the way you re- reacted to them is sin, right? Because Jesus said what? Bless our enemies. Don't curse them. But we have to understand the gravity of sin. I'm getting a little bit ahead of myself. So what is sin? The definition of sin from Easton's Bible Dictionary says sin is is any want or conformity unto the transgression of the law of God. So what is conformity? Conformity is adhering to, changing to, right? Like if if Jobert said, uh, I want you to conform to the way that I play basketball. Right? Then I would have to watch the way that he plays basketball and have to do it his way. Okay? So, what does it mean? What does the word transgression mean? Well, transgression is basically sin, breaking God's commandment. And so, when we choose to sin, we are conforming to the sinful nature. And we are willfully breaking God's law. Okay, let's go on and read here. I'm not going to read all these scriptures right now, but there's plenty of scripture we're going to read here in a little bit. In the inward state and habit of the soul, as well as the outward conduct of life, whether by omission or commission. So I'm going to explain those things because I know there's a lot of words there that you may not be familiar with. Sin is a want of conformity. It is an agreement unto or transgression, which is simply breaking the law of God. Okay? First John three: four says, Whoever commits sin also commits lawlessness. And sin is Lawlessness. I want you to say that with me. Sin is lawlessness. Sin is breaking the commandment of God. We need to understand that when we sin, it is against God, even if we do it against somebody else. Okay? We are created in His image. And the image of God, there is no sin. So when we willfully choose to sin and break God's commandment and law, we are always doing it against Him. Are you with me? Romans 4.15 Because the law brings about wrath or judgment, for where there is no law, there is no transgression or sin. So in other words... You wouldn't know what sin is unless the law told you that it was wrong to do something. Right? So as a child, when you were born, did you have to learn to do what was right or learn to do what was wrong? You had to learn to do what was right because you were born into a sinful nature. So you can thank Adam and Eve for that. But when we came into this life, we inherit their sinful lifestyle. We are born into sin, which means this is why Proverbs tells us, train up a child in the way they should go. And when they get old, they will not depart. How do you train a child? Well, children need borders, right, Lila? If you say to your children, you are allowed to stay on this YWAM property, but you're not allowed to go down to the restaurant area here, okay? But you're allowed to do anything on the property, you are giving them borders. And if they willfully go across the line and outside of the border that you set for them, they are transgressing your rule are you with me and so God gave us borders that look a lot of people say oh we're not under law anymore we're under grace okay I understand what you mean but do you understand what you mean because here's the deal the law is good if it's used correctly How many of you would say that the no smoking law in Davao is a good law? (laughs) Okay. I don't like secondhand smoke. I don't like if somebody else is smoking for them to blow it in my face. Willfully or (laughs) unwillfully. But the, the point is is that God has given us his commandments. Not only the ten commandments, but there's Over 600 laws in the Old Testament that are incredible. We're not going to get into all that. But God narrowed down the 10 most important laws, which are the 10 commandments, which is the rule of all law for every human being and every nation in the world, whether Jew or Gentile. When God gave Israel that law, it was a covenant that he established with them. He said, I'm giving you my law, not because you're doing everything right, but for a couple of reasons. First is the law shows you how I am holy and you are not holy. It also shows you your dependence and need for a savior. So in the Old Testament, God created the law and tabernacle worship, right? And then tabernacle slash temple worship, same thing, just two different locations. In that setup, the whole entire purpose was for Israel to have a way that God would not destroy them. So, if they did what God asked them to do, even though the law would not erase their sin or for or you know completely get rid of their sin, only the blood of Jesus could do that right even though they would go through tabernacle worship and sacrifice animals and shed blood, and the priest would go once a year into the Day of atonement into the Holy of Holies and plead for forgiveness and do everything that they were supposed to do. It was never going to be enough because we keep sinning. Sin is our master until we are born again. This is what God told Adam and Eve, and, or I'm sorry, told their son, Cain and Abel. After Cain killed Abel, right? He told Cain, he said, sin must not be your master. You don't have to be a slave, but you're going to be a vagabond. Do you know what a vagabond is? It's a wanderer. It's an aimless person who does not hit the mark. They are always constantly trying to do the right things, but because they are under the law and convicted by their own sin, they always feel like they're not getting anywhere, even though they try really hard. Right? This is why Christianity is separate from every other religion in the world. It's by faith alone in Jesus Christ that we are saved. It is not of our good works. Again, I'll reiterate what I said yesterday. Good works is the evidence of real faith. But it's not faith plus works that we are saved from our sin. It's faith alone in what Jesus has done for us that he fulfilled the law for us and the word of the prophets so that we could be forgiven of our sinful nature and have provision for forgiveness in the future. A lot of people believe that when you're born again, Jesus Christ has forgiven your sins, past, present, and future. That is not true. Jesus Christ has forgiven your sins in the past if you get born again, but he has given provision for forgiveness presently and your future. That means you have an opportunity to personally repent if you sin after you're born again. Are you with me? Because if we say that Jesus Christ forgave us of our sin, past, present, and future, then I don't have to repent anymore. He made provision for forgiveness so that we can ask forgiveness when we need it. And when we ask forgiveness, we don't get resaved, saved Right? God disciplines those whom he loves, but the danger of giving into sin after you're born again is that, yes, God will never turn away from you, but you can turn away from God. And we can walk away from the Lord. I personally believe that. The prodigal son turned away from the Lord. Yes, he came back because he had a good father who laid good foundations and borders in his life, but he made his own decision that he shouldn't have made that could have cost him his life for eternity. Let's get back into this where there is no law. There is no transgression. So you wouldn't know what sin is except by the law. Sin is in the inward state and habit of the soul as well as in the outward conduct of the life, whether by omission or commission. What are sins of omission and commission? Sins of omission and commission are both referenced in the Bible and often discussed together. A sin of commission involves the willful act of doing something. This is what you have to understand the difference. Sin of commission involves the willful act of doing something that violates God's command in scripture, such as lying or stealing. A sin of omission involves not doing what is right or failing to do what is instructed. Refusing to share Christ with others, neglecting the care for those in need, and avoiding prayer are all examples of sins of omission. So God is not standing over you with a hammer and said. You better pray and read your Bible today. Okay, he's a good, good father. Amen? Amen? Amen. He is so patient and loving and kind and gentle. Yet, when we choose not to seek him on our own, what happens? We are separating ourselves from God. God is not separating himself from us. But we don't realize how much we need him. And this sin of omission, we do not understand the gravity of how this will affect us, how it will pull us away and pull us down and make life more difficult if you don't put the Lord first. Amen. So it's different than a willful uh, sin of commission where I get angry at you and I just punch you in the face. That's different, okay? But we have to understand first that God is what? Holy. His ways are higher than our ways. His thoughts are higher than our thoughts. He is the standard. There is no one higher than who He is. He is the highest of the highest. He is the greatest authority. He is the judge of everything. He is the alpha and Omega, the beginning and the end, the first and the last. We have to understand who it is that we're dealing with. In Romans 6, 12 through 17, this is what Paul says. Therefore, do not let sin reign in your mortal body. Now, who's he speaking to? Is he speaking to unbelievers or believers? He's speaking to believers. This is the letter to the Roman church. Okay? Any of the epistles, which is Romans, Colossians, Ephesians, Philippians, right? The Thessalonians, those are letters to those churches in those areas. So he's saying, do not let sin reign in your body. You've been born again, so sin is no longer your master. Jesus Christ is now your master. And because of that, you have a responsibility before God in his word and in your own conscience and before everyone else friends family and a witness to the world and even before the the spiritual authorities right in the kingdom of darkness and the kingdom of god you have a responsibility to not let sin reign in your body it must not rule your life that you should obey its lust verse 13 And do not present your members, your lifestyle as instruments of unrighteousness to sin, but present yourselves to God as being alive from the dead and your enemies as instruments of righteousness to God. For sin shall not have what? Dominion over you. For you are not under Law, but under grace. That grace of God is powerful to keep you and help you to remain living holy. And if you fail, you repent quickly. And you ask for forgiveness. This afternoon, I'm going to tell you what my favorite scripture verse is. Because I want that verse to guide you in understanding how to walk in freedom And live for Jesus. But we'll talk about that later. Sin shall not have dominion over you. for You're not under law but under grace. What then shall we sin? What then? Shall we sin because we're not under the law but under grace? Certainly not. Do you not know that to whom you present yourselves slaves to obey, you are that one's slave's. Whom you obey, whether of sin leading to death or of obedience leading to righteousness. So some sin is so dangerous that it can kill you right away. All sin leads to death, right? But there's other sins of omission that you're not thinking about that actually are destroying you if you ignore becoming more like Jesus, by becoming a man or a woman of prayer, or valuing God's word above everything else. You know, I have my Bible, I, don't, I didn't bring it with me today because I use it on the computer, but when I have my Bible, nothing sits on top of my Bible. You know why? Because there is no other book, there is no other more important manuscript in the history of the world, than the Word of God. Now, John chapter 1 tells us that Jesus is the Word that became flesh. Now, I'm not saying if you put something on top of your Bible that, oh, God's going to judge you and lightning's going to flash and that's it. No, I'm saying I have a consciousness that I never want to commit a sin of omission by devaluing God's Word because his word should have preeminence. It should have the greatest value in my life above everything and everybody else in the world. Amen? I love my wife, and my wife knows I love her, but our words are secondary to the word of God. It doesn't, it doesn't matter who's speaking to us. God's word is more valuable And should be more valuable to us than anybody else's word. Verse 17. But God be thanked that though you were slaves of sin, yet you obeyed from the heart that form of doctrine to which you were delivered. Okay, we're gonna read Romans chapter 7, verses 5 through 24. And I know this is a lot of scripture, but. I really want you to become familiar with these passages. You should be reading the book of Romans until you get it. It is one of the most important books in the Bible. I always say that about all the books, but this is a foundational book that will help you to understand the difference between law and grace. Okay? Let's start in verse 5. And I'm using the New King James version for when we were in the flesh living right in sin the sinful passions which were aroused by the law right the law gives us a consciousness that something is right or something is wrong will work at our members to bear fruit to death but now we have been delivered from the law So you don't have to just worry about obeying rules and regulations in order to stay pure because the blood of Jesus makes you pure. And if by faith you lean into God's word and to the provision of what Jesus has made for you, then you do not have to be worried about obeying God anymore because now the Holy Spirit who lives in you gives you power to obey. Amen having died to what we were held by so that we should serve in the newness of the spirit and not in the oldness of the letter or the law. So we used to worry about, am I doing something right? Am I doing something wrong? Because our conscience was plagued because we were under the authority and mastery of sin. You were a slave to sin before you were born again. And you were comparing yourself to other people and all of these things. And now the Lord says, you're born again. The same spirit that raised Jesus from the dead now lives in you. And you have the ability to obey God by faith just as much as the greatest man or woman of God on the earth does. Verse seven, what shall we say then? Is the law sin? Is the law sin? No. On the contrary, I would not have known what sin was except by the law. You need to understand that scripture verse right there. Verse 7, Romans 7, 7. For I would not have known covetousness unless the law said you should not covet. Right? So how do you know that lying is a sin? Because the commandment says, thou shall not lie. So your conscience bears witness with the law of God. The book of Jeremiah tells us that God has written his law upon our heart. So everybody will be judged according to God's law. Right? If God didn't give us his law, he couldn't judge us in righteousness. He could judge and do whatever he wants to do. Like he could drop a nuclear bomb on the entire universe and be totally right in doing it because he's God and we're not, but he won't do that because he has revealed to us through his word that he will honor righteousness. He is pure. He is holy. That is his nature. That is his character. He's not a man that he should lie. He never stops telling the truth. In fact, Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man gets to the Father except through me. Faith alone can not only forgive your sin, but empower you to live holy. But sin, verse 8, but sin taking opportunity by the commandment, produced in me all manner of evil desire. For apart from this law, sin was dead. i didn't know what sin was, except the law told me right so when a when a two year old child goes into a store, or let's say they're like four or five years old, this happened with my son Jonathan, who's now six foot four, and he's eighteen years old okay he's in college and He's very good looking, like, you know, his father. And um, and he, when he was like four or five years old, we were in the state of Tennessee, and we went to this store that sold all kinds of fun toys and different things, and he grabbed something off the shelf, put it in his pocket, and we didn't know this. And we got in the car, and we're driving down the road less than a, a kilometer, and he was playing with this thing and he goes, look, mommy, (laughs) what's that? Did you buy that? No, I didn't buy that. Did you buy that? Jonathan, where'd you get that? Oh, I took it from the store. I hit the brakes. Well, to Jonathan, it wasn't sin because he didn't know that that was wrong. So I did not spank him or discipline him, but what I did, Casey and I did, we went back to the store and we told Jonathan, that it's wrong to take things from places. And so you have to go and tell the person you're sorry and you give it back. And I wasn't concerned that they're gonna throw my son in jail or anything like that, you know? I mean, we came back and we didn't have to do that. And yet we did have to do that. You understand? And so Jonathan was actually upset because he didn't want to do anything wrong. But we comforted him. Now he knows it's wrong. So if he does it again, then what happens? He's disciplined. That's why parents should not scream and yell or respond in anger to their kids when they do something wrong. And that's very difficult, isn't it? especially when you got little ones running around and they're asking questions why and trying to understand how things work. That's the job of being a parent. Listen, let me say this. This is the job of being a disciple maker. And all of you, whether you get married and have children or not, are called to be disciple makers. And so understanding how to raise children Will teach you through God's Word how to make disciples Mm -hmm. and so my point is this when you when God created borders for you to show you what was right and what was wrong he didn't just judge you right away he explained to you because he's a good father Mm -hmm. how I want you to obey me but I will hold you accountable because I love you The law is good if it's used correctly. Is this making sense? I know this is a lot of detail, and there's more to come. (laughs) Where are we at? Verse 9. I was alive once without the law. But when the commandment came, sin revived, and I died. And the commandment, which was to bring life, I found to bring death. For sin... Taking occasion or opportunity by the commandment deceived me. Sin is deceitful. And by it, it killed me. It destroyed me. It, gave, it made me feel guilty. It made me feel shame. It made me feel fear. Anybody know what I'm talking about? Have you ever sinned and then what's the immediate thing you feel? Guilty. Yes. Condemn, shame, fear. And the enemy wants you to live a lifestyle like that, like that, because if he can control you with condemnation, guilt and fear and shame, he can torment you. And if he torments you long enough, he can turn your heart away from the goodness of God and living according to conviction to living according to guilt and condemnation to where no longer are you effective for the kingdom of God. Therefore the law is what? Holy. And the commandment holy and just and good. Verse 13. Has then what is good become death to me? Certainly not. But sin, that it might appear sin, was producing death in me through what is good. So that sin through the commandment might become exceedingly sinful. Here's the deal. The law is good if it's used correctly. And God will always always use the law correctly because he is good. And he is not under law, right? He is above it. He's the one who created it. That way, when, when you sin, and you are born again, and God says, don't lie, don't cheat, Right, You're in Bible school, you're in ministry school, you're doing your DTS, don't cheat on your test. What's the sense of being in ministry school if you're going to break God's law? I've had this happen at fire school where students cheated. You know why? Because they didn't study and they felt guilty. And because they were guilty because they didn't put the effort in, they wanted to take the shortcut. And when they got caught, and I sat them down in my office. I said, now, I love you, but you, what you did was wrong. And because of that, there is a repercussion. See, they knew what they were doing was wrong. It wasn't like a child. This is an adult. And I, there were repercussions. And the person was upset. Forgive me. And we were graceful with them and helped them get through and then you know what happened they did it again and then they got kicked out of fire school and it's not because i did not love them of course i'm the bad guy now but here's the deal i would rather be the bad guy to your conscience than stand before god with a guilty conscience that i didn't uphold his truth because i was afraid of what other people thought I am more concerned about your salvation than I am you graduating from fire school of ministry. I am more concerned about you being right with God so that you can get everything that God has available to you if you will not allow your conscience to become seared. You know what it means to be seared, right? It's when you're cooking like a piece of fish or meat and you sear it on a hot pan and it, it, it burns on the outside a little bit. That's what it means to be seared. And that's what happens to our conscience. When we sin is we get seared and we're, we're not raw. We're not simple anymore. We're, we're trying to make ourselves look better and be different. And God is saying, I love your simplicity. I love your childlike faith. I love the fact that you trust in me, but when you try to fix things, I have to step in and explain to you that that's wrong and you will reap what you sow, but it's because I love you. Let me ask you a question. And this is a little bit out of bounds where I'm at. We'll get right back to this. Did Jesus love the religious leaders? Yes. Okay. Well, let me say this. He would call the Pharisees and Sadducees whitewashed tombs full of dead men's bones. He said, you Lord over the people. He was so direct with them. You know why? Because they understood the law and they didn't obey it. And they presented themselves as godly men prosperity right they had these beautiful robes and clothing and hats and they walked around with their chest out I'm a man of God but the reality is they had no humility and brokenness over their sin but Jesus went to the poor, and he did not rebuke them like he rebuked the religious leaders because the poor need God and when we're not poor in spirit and we don't need God then our conscience becomes seared. And even though we know the right things to say and do, what happens? If we don't do them, we're not living in faith anymore. Does that make sense? Let's go on. Verse 14, For we know that the law was spiritual; is spiritual, but I am carnal, or I, I am my desire. This is Paul the Apostle. Saying I am carnal, my flesh wants me to live in the flesh. So Paul had the same problems we did. Sold under sin. For what I am doing I do not understand. For what I will do, what I will to do, that I do not practice. But what I hate, that I do. So he's saying there is this war within me that I want to obey God and sometimes I don't. And when I don't, my conscience is awakening, is being awakened by the law, saying, repent and get right with God. And sometimes I don't want to do that because I want to be in control. Verse 16. If then I do what I will not to do, I agree with the law, law that it is good, but now it is no longer I who do it, but the sin who dwells in me. So he's saying when you willfully sin time and time again as a believer, that you are in danger of giving yourself over to your sinful nature that Jesus set you free from and living according to your old lifestyle and not as a new creation in Christ. But now it is no longer I who do it, but the sin who dwells in me. Verse 18, for I know that in me, that is in my flesh, listen to this, nothing good dwells. For to will is present with me, but how to perform what is good, I do not find. I have no ability within myself to obey God because of my sinful nature. But, by the grace of God, to the empowerment of Jesus' blood and the Holy Spirit, I have an ability to walk in freedom. Verse 19. For the good that I will to do, I do not do, but the evil I will not to do, that I practice. Now, if I do what I will not to do, it is no longer I who do it, but the sin who dwells in me. Verse 21, we're almost done with this verses. I find then a law that is evil is present with me. The one who wills to do good. For I delight, look look at this, I delight in the law of God according to the inward man. According to the spirit of Jesus that lives in me, I actually delight in God's law. Have you ever read, what's the longest chapter in the Bible? Does anybody know? Psalm Nope, 119, Psalm 119. It's all about the different writers, and there's several writers in that chapter who say, oh, how I love your law. These are people who were not born again, but people who valued God's law so much and tried to obey it as best as they possibly could according to the system of the old covenant, They value God's law. How much more should you and I in the new covenant because of the blood of Jesus that we have the ability to obey God. How much more should we delight in God's law? Amen. Don't aren't you happy when you obey God instead of disobeying him? How does it make you feel right? How do you feel when you don't do your devotions in the morning? In the back of your mind, all day long, your conscience is thinking, Stop, be still, and know that he's God. Seek first the kingdom of heaven and his righteousness, and all things will be added. Yes, Lord, yes, Lord, yes, Lord. But we're not doing it. And so, the heaviness of things that happen throughout the day, you get a telephone call that you weren't expecting. Or your wife yells at you, right, Charles? She's not here, so that's why I said it. And... Or something happens that you weren't expecting, right? Somebody cuts you off when you're driving. You know? My point is this. Without Jesus, we have no ability to obey God. But in Christ, we can delight in the law of God, and we can honor His law, and we can feel really good that we are empowered by the Holy Spirit to do what God's asked us to do. Amen? Amen. You have power. And listen, if you didn't do your devotions today, I'm not here to put you under guilt, condemnation, shame, and fear. What I'm saying is learn how to discipline yourself as a man or a woman of God to mature. I've been walking with the Lord for decades. Okay? So I know things about God that you may not understand. Or maybe you know, but you're having a harder time applying them. That is okay. Look, I have a 13-year-old daughter who's the youngest of all five of our children. She doesn't drive a car yet, although she thinks she probably could. She doesn't go out by herself yet, like her 25-year-old sister or her 21-year-old sister does. So there are different phases of responsibility, maturity in each one of our lives. God doesn't cut you off when you disobey him. But he wants you to see the sinfulness of what your decision can lead into if you do not honor the conviction of the Holy Spirit that's brought to you by his word, by his law. Amen? So if you learn how to obey the small, still voice of God over and over and over again, and it becomes your new nature, then you're not going to live the way that you used to live In immaturity okay for I delight in the law of God according to the inward man verse 23 but I see another law in my members warring against the law of my mind and bringing me into captivity to the law of sin which is in my members oh wretched man that I am who will deliver me from this body of death I thank God through Jesus Christ our Lord Look at that. I thank God through Jesus Christ that I can live in freedom. I don't have to live in my mind with so much like debate and so much challenge. Am I obeying God? Am I doing enough? No, no, no. Live in peace because the Prince of Peace lives in you. If you live out of peace... If you live out of joy and you live out of victory, you're making it more difficult for yourself and easier for the enemy to condemn you. Amen? So then with my mind, I myself serve the law of God, but my flesh, with the flesh, the law of sin. When we sin, we tell God that we do not need him and we choose to be our own God. So let me ask you this again. What is sin? It is what breaking the commandments the law of God willfully okay so when we sin we tell God that we don't need him and we choose to be our own God where does lawlessness come from sinful living do you know what the what I think it's in Revelation and maybe in Daniel as well what it calls the Antichrist what's another word for the Antichrist does anybody know the man of starts with an L lawlessness Antichrist is called the man of lawlessness so when we tell God that we don't need him or we don't obey the Lord, we are agreeing with the spirit of Antichrist. Do you want to agree with the Antichrist? Do you want to agree with the man of lawlessness? No, of course not. But we don't think like that because we don't realize how holy God is. The more you spend time with God, I promise you, the more of his character and nature you will be jealous for and you will turn away, turn your back on the old sinful nature. Tim Keller said this, sin is not just breaking the rules. It is putting yourself in the place of God as Savior, Lord, and Judge, just as each son sought to displace the authority of the Father in his own Life. It's powerful. People say, wow, you sound so hard. No, I don't sound hard. What I want you to understand is how bad sin is. Because if you put up with sin long enough, you compromise. And the more that you compromise, the harder it is for you to walk in freedom. John Piper He said, what is sin? It is the glory of God not honored, the holiness of God not reverenced, the greatness of God not admired, the power of God not praised. That's a powerful statement. See, sin completely transforms our minds to believing a lie long enough that we're not concerned about what it does to the Lord and other people around us. And some people say, oh, when I sin, right, if I look at pornography, I'm not bothering anybody. So pornography is not bad. Well, that's the lie that you believed. And it is bad enough that it affects you already. But what you don't realize is that when the more that you give into to pornography, the more you look at men and women as objects. And so you're actually committing a sin against other people. And if you're looking at that pornography, you're actually looking at someone's daughter and someone's son. And you're thinking about them in a way that you should not think about them because you do not have a covenant relationship with them. There is no other woman in the world that I have the right to think about in a way that is intimate other than my wife. That is the standard that God set. But if we do that outside of the context of marriage, covenant relationship, then we have impure thoughts. And look what impure thoughts have done to the world. You see, homosexuality is rampant in the world today. Transgenderism, LGBTQ. But listen, you know why it's so big? It's because divorce was big. And kids grew up in families that lacked the understanding of what a pure marriage should look like. And then when people get remarried, I'm not talking about a, a spouse who died, Talking about divorce, willful, sinful divorce. Now, God can forgive people and heal and restore people, absolutely. But there are repercussions. We reap what we sow. And it affects our children and our children's children unless that curse is broken in the blood of Jesus. And because of these things, kids have grown up without fathers. And moms are trying to take on responsibilities that dads should take up. And it's caused kids to have their identity affected in a negative, sinful way. So when somebody believes as a male that I'm a female or a female believes that they are a male, it is the ultimate lie and deception that you are thinking you are something that God did not create you to be. And this is why the world and sin is getting worse. It's because if we don't preach the truth of the gospel with love, then people have no standard of how they are to live. And we must uphold the truth of God's word. Scriptures of how God looks at sin and sinners. Isaiah 59 verse 2, but your iniquities or your sin have separated you from your God and your sins have hidden his face from you so that he will not hear. Sin separates us from God and sin hides God's face from us and we wonder why God doesn't hear us. You know what is my absolute worst song that I strongly dislike? And it's a song that people sing on the radio all the time. Right? God is watching us from a distance. You ever hear that song? And people sing it. It's an older song from like the 80s, 90s. That word, God is watching us from a distance, means he's not intimate with us. And he's not interested. You're on your own. My friend, there is no greater fear that mankind should have than God would separate himself from us. And the only reason God separates himself is because of sin. Because when we repent... And we say father forgive me he immediately comes to restore and to heal romans six twenty three, for the wages of sin is death but the gift of god is eternal life through jesus christ our lord the wages of sin what are wages it's what you get paid for for your work the wages of sin if you give in to sin you will be paid with death. But the gift of God is eternal life to Jesus Christ. So you could surrender to Jesus and you don't have to die and be eternally separated from God. We're all going to die because of the effects of sin. But Jesus said, if you have faith in me, I go to prepare a place for you. And I'm never going to leave you or forsake you. And when you die, you're just going to transition into a new kingdom Romans 3:23 for some have sinned is that correct what does it say all, right. all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God sin misses the mark sin falls short of God's standards first Corinthians 1556 the sting of death Is sin and the strength of sin is the law are you understanding these verses differently now we know the sting of death is sin when you get stung with sin and you don't let it get healed what happens it leads to death and sin is strengthened by the law so if I disobey the law I'm actually strengthening the power of sin in my life and headed straight for destruction. James 1:15 When desire has conceived it brings birth to sin. In other words, when you give in to temptation, you will sin. And sin when it is full grown brings forth death. John 8:34 Jesus answered them most assuredly I say to you whoever commits sin is a what slave to sin now look at this verse I listed it twice with two different versions the first is the version I've been using all day which is the new King James version then the second one is the expanded Bible Psalms 711 God is just And God is angry with the wicked every day. Whoa. God is just, what does that mean? He never disobeys any commandment that he has listed for us to obey. And those who are breaking the commandment, he is angry with every day. I don't want to do anything To make God angry. You ever hear of Sodom and Gomorrah? Now, look. We don't like to talk about this because we like to talk about love, 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 love. God's love. And we should. Because he is love. But he's also a God of justice. We're going to get more into that in a minute. In the expanded Bible version, it says, God judges by what is right is righteous judge and God is always ready to punish the wicked who he is angry every day with. Why? Because he cannot be a God of love if he's not a God of justice. If somebody were to attack your mother and do something horrible to her, would you just go up to them and say, I forgive you and them not be held accountable for their actions? Well, it depends on what they did. But think about this. If somebody raped your mom or your sister, that's a horrible thought. It's wicked thought. Would you want to just say to them, oh yeah, we just forgive you? No. Let me tell you, If somebody broke into my home at night and is attacking my wife or my children, I'm not going to say, I forgive you and go in the other room. You know what I'm going to do? I'm probably going to jump on them and restrain them. And if I have to do something to incapacitate them, it's not because I hate them. It's because they did something they're not supposed to do. And as a husband, as a father, I'm called to be a protector. Are you with me? I don't want to kill anybody. The Bible says thou shall not murder. The word for kill is actually murder. So when a governmental authority upholds the law, and, you know, hold somebody accountable for doing something bad to somebody else and that person dies because of justice, the government's not wrong. They're upholding a standard to say to everybody else that you can't just kill anybody. You can't murder anybody because you disagree with them. So that's why we uphold justice. But if I'm angry at somebody and I just kill them, murder them, I don't have the authority of a government to enforce a law. Only the government has that. Now, unfortunately, not all governments are doing things based on God's word. But the point is this, is that we have a responsibility to adhere to God's word personally not just as a community and as a nation that means you have to learn how to obey god in difficult situations and you should know the law of god well enough to know how to decipher what is truth and what is right or what is right and what's wrong and so again we have to be filled with the love of god but we have to be filled with truth. Or otherwise, how do you, do you think a lot of people are struggling with the war in Israel right now? But I'm not struggling with it at all. Now God loves the Israelis and God loves the Palestinians. But when you come to somebody's children and you rape and you murder them and you were high on drugs, all of those terrorists, there were hundreds of them, who had a willful plan to destroy these people. And yes, there's been an ongoing issue for decades, for centuries. But when you willfully do something wrong, my friend, like that, you need to be held accountable. And that's why the Israeli government is responding like they are. And here's the deal. Nobody else in the world except America, maybe a few other nations, are in support of Israel but God calls Israel the apple of his eye and so I'm not saying God agrees with everything Israelis do Jewish people do they will be held accountable to the law just like we do but sometimes life presents situations where if we don't know the Word of God and we don't know the truth of God's Word and we're not living in love how are we going to respond if we're not in a state of readiness? Amen? From the Bible, it's clear that God hates sin because, and I just listed 10 reasons there could be more. Number one, sin separates man from God for eternity. Number two, sin gives the devil over authority over what God created. Number three, sin leads to death and eternal torment. Number four, sin destroys everything in us and around us. Number five, sin changes our perception of who God is. Number six, sin makes us think we do not need God. Number seven, sin refuses responsibility and blames others. Number eight, sin leads to sickness, famine, wars, and death. Number nine, sin makes us selfish and self-righteous. Number 10, sin redefines who God is. See, if you try to tell me who God is, but you live in sin, you can't tell me. Because who God is, is revealed through his word. And if you do not adhere and submit yourself to God's word, then you cannot come up with an understanding of how to articulate who God is. The clarity of who God is must come from your relationship with him and his word. Okay, why don't we take a break here? Because I want to, the rest of this, we still have a little bit more to go. And I want to stop for a moment so that we can get back in it. Thank you for listening to Revival Cry with Eric Miller. Please subscribe, rate, and write a review for this podcast on iTunes, cpnshows.com, or wherever you listen to podcasts. To find out more or partner with our missions work around the world, please visit us at revivalcry.org. I look forward to being with you next week.